We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it begins. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We are Services. And party like it's Pro's birthday. We're gonna sip a party like it's Pro's birthday. And you know that we don't give a fuck that it's Pro's birthday. See Parth in the club, bottle full of bub. Parth ain't into having sex, but he's into making love. So come give him a hug if you into getting rough. I'm keeping this in the edit, by the way. That's all I know. Who is that, 50 Cent? That's, uh, that's sure. all I Remember at the Super Bowl when he was hanging upside down singing that song? Yo, that was fucking awesome. Are you saying that because you don't remember or just because... Do you? I mean, it was it kind of was awesome. So based on your tones... So Trent, what have you been eating most recently? Um, hey, Parth, what have you been eating most recently? Uh, oh, buy, thank you. Buy me some um, time. I made butter chicken and rice for dinner today but i did not make enough and so i had that for dinner and then had to heat up pizza rolls to make up for the fact that i had not made enough butter chicken what about you the last thing i had was my mom last time i saw her we went to this indian restaurant called spice paradise in... Yo, that's like me because indian because you're indian but you do have no other affiliation to this restaurant but like would you not say that time spent with me is like time spent in paradise? A spicy paradise, dare I say. Oh. Uh, but but several, on several occasions, whenever my parents come to visit, we go to Spice Paradise. And on this occasion, my mom gave me two mason jars full of granola that she made. And it's like oats and almonds. And it's all like glued together with like some honey. And it's pretty awesome. And I had some. Awesome. I had some before in my creative writing class where we read a short story by er- Ernest Hemingway. That, Yo, uh, I love that guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was pretty good. Nice. Uh, um, but that has nothing to do with what I've been eating. Nor movies. Nor His books aren't movies, uh, which we have a podcast about. That's true. Should we cut into the intro? Let's do it. Cue the intro. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film, and hopefully you have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week, Trent, who are we talking to? Parth. Elliot. We, oh, oh, no, don't worry. Parth, don't worry, don't, don't delay. We are talking to the cinematographer of the film, uh, Elliot Rocket. And he's also the DP of, uh, you could see it now in theaters, um, A twenty four is Pearl. A twenty four was it an A twenty four movie? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty dang sure. Wow, Ty West Pearl, which uh is oh you awesome. and I both saw. I think did you see it yesterday? I saw it on the first day it came out. Believe it or not, oh on, wow. on Thursday, so, and it was pretty awesome. I, I saw it yesterday, and I I liked it as well. The the the, the my theater was kind of scarce. How was yours? Mine was scarce, but it was also a Sunday night. So I don't I don't know. I, I feel like what, did you see AMC? No, they're the Regal Cinemas or something. 
I've been spending so much time at AMC that I'm even considering becoming an AMC Stubbs Rewards member. There was actually, at the Regal Cinema that we were at, they have a thing where for $18, you can go see movies, like an unlimited amount of movies. $18 per month. At AMC, it's three a week, which I still feel like from... That's still, I mean, that's For most people, is seemingly unlimited. Uh, I I did see uh, Barbarian for free at now friend on the show Sarah Brotman's theater, and I'd never been there, but what a lovely establishment. Truly. But uh, speaking of lovely things, Mm. X, that's a lovely movie, huh? I mean, not to spoil our discussion, but we both like it. Yeah, no, um, like we alluded to in the What's to Come episode, I think we're talking about three great, new, exciting horror movies. And the the crazy thing, they were all released before October, or even but before the formal Halloween season where we'll get uh, Michael Myers' Halloween ends. You always have that to look forward to. X was released, if I'm not mistaken, in like the summer. March? No, it was not. No, it was because I remember friend of the show, Sophia Alexis. I saw it with her and friend of the show, Kate Rotunda. After we watched it, Sophia said that it should have been released um, in the summer, which I agree with. It does kind of feel like a summer movie. Very much so. I mean, uh, Pearl did catch the late summer, early fall, which I think thematically it definitely catches. Yeah. But um, Elliot Rocket is a mainstay of both movies, um, and he does some really good work on x i think and he talks about the way they shot it to look like it would be a movie made in the 70s um talks about oh he talks about kid cuddy's penis in it yeah 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 i was bold enough to ask about kid cuddy's penis and in hindsight i'm glad i did because i feel like we got a lot of mileage out of it yeah it's pretty crazy and he was very willing to talk about the subject and he gave us kind of the exclusive that we kind of did nothing with because we were recording this for October, but he gave us the exclusive that they were planning to do a trilogy, so. Yeah, which I'm afraid now is common knowledge. Yes, they are, I don't know if they're in production or pre-production on Maxine. Yeah, I think in this episode or maybe off the air afterwards, we asked him when Maxine was filming, and I kind of remember him saying the end of 2022, but maybe I'm envisioning That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but should we give the people what they want, or should, is there anything else we need to mention? No, uh, I mean, uh, for anyone who didn't listen or what's to come, uh, special episode, the next two movies we'll be covering are Nope and Bodies, 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 so we have a lot of exciting stuff to come, but for now, uh, here's our interview with uh, director of photography, Elliot Rocket. Cue the interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our interview with Elliot Rocket. He is the cinematographer that's worked on such films as The Specials, The House of the Devil, Cabin Fever 2, and our film for today, Ty West's X. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So just to start off, what was your relationship with film like at a young age? Oh, boy. When I was in college, um, I worked at a, um, a little art cinema. I'm actually wearing the shirt for it, ironically, today. The Bijou in Eugene, Oregon. Um, and I was going to the University of Oregon, and I took a, a film class kind of randomly. It was a film theory, criticism sort of class, or history class. And um, it was taught by this wonderful professor, this guy named Carl Bybee. And he kind of just like opened my eyes to the idea that 
like movies could be this significant cultural art form or, you know, that. And then I think that coupled with working at the theater and I became the projectionist at the theater and I just sort of got swept up in it. I just, I just got into it, you know, and then I went on to, um, I did my undergraduate degree in philosophy and then I went to film school at NYU and got a master's in film. Um, and it just sort of went from there. So how did you, did you find yourself on set for the first time, like making student films at NYU? And like, when did you start to gravitate towards the camera department specifically? You know, uh, back then, at least in the, um, graduate film program at NYU, everybody essentially was, came in as a directing person, you know, but everybody had to make their own shorts and, (laughs) and crew up, um, using other students in the program. And so what ended up happening was that in every year, you know, two or three people would sort of gravitate towards camera because it was kind of the one position being the DP on somebody's short that like they had to get somebody who wouldn't like ruin the film. <laughs> um, and and I had done a lot of photography in undergraduate and stuff. And so I sort of ended up gravitating towards the camera side of things at school and shot, you know, tons and tons of um, other people's shorts. And I, you know, I did my own and stuff. Um, and then what ended up happening was I sort of, I, I started making music videos with a friend of mine there. We would both co-direct and co-shoot them and stuff. And then what ended so I sort of had this, like, I would shoot things for people and then we'd sort of I'd also do some directing sort of things. And then it sort of ended up, I moved to San Francisco and I kind of dropped the whole um, directing thing and just pursued camera basically. So in a nutshell. Yeah. So uh, we were talking a little bit off uh, off air, and you. This is the fifth of your collaborations with Ty West. I think so. Or... The first movie I shot for Ty was Cabin Fever Two, um, and then we did House of the Devil, and then The Innkeepers, and then I was working on that TV show Grimm for like six years, and I didn't do um, uh, the Sacrament or Valley of Violence. But then I did, yeah. Then X and Pearl. So that's five. Yeah, so I was going to ask, how did the two of you come together and sort of what was what was that first meeting like together and how has that progressed? Yeah, um, it, it, it came about because I had shot a movie um, called Liberty Kid uh, for um, a director woman in New York named Ilya Chaikin. Um, and it was one of the producers on that movie was... Um, uh, Larry Fezzedin, uh, the glass eye picks person. And Larry had been sort of, Larry had been real supportive of Ty's very early movies um, and had been producing them or helping him out. And so when it came time for Ty to find somebody to shoot this Cabin Fever 2 thing that he was going to do, um, Larry, I think, I think it was Larry, uh, suggested me to him. Um, and uh, both Ty and I were in LA at the time. And so I went over to Ty's house and just sort of had this, we just kind of hung out and talked about it and talked about what he wanted to do and what it was all about and stuff like that and just got along well. And then it just just went from there. (laughs) So now we have some X specific questions, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you shot the film in New Zealand, Mm -hmm. but you were shooting uh, it for Texas. And how, what was that like? Well, you know, uh, what happened was like, 
Ty wrote the movie over the course of, was it the fall of like 2018 around then? Um, I don't remember exactly. And then he wasn't sure like what was going to happen. And then A24 got interested. And then all of a sudden, um, and it was like, the it needed to be in the summertime, right? Like there's all the like, like swimming in the pond and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and it was written for Texas. And there was a brief period of time where they were like, we'll go to Georgia and shoot it in, in Georgia. Um, and Ty really didn't want to deal with all the COVID protocols. He had been directing some TV and stuff uh, through the pandemic at that first part and was, you know, it was just a drag. Um, and then it very quickly became apparent that we wouldn't even be able to get it off the ground uh, in time in Georgia for it to actually be summer there. And so I, I'm not, I wasn't privy to like the, the whole series of events that, that led them to decide to go to New Zealand. But I think that those were the two main factors. And then, you know, cause once we got down to New Zealand, there was no COVID uh, at that time, once you did managed isolation, you just went out and it was like, there had never been a pandemic or anything. It was very strange. Um, and so those were, yeah, I mean, that was really the reasons why it ended up being shot down there for Texas. Mm-hmm. And, and this movie is also like a period film, mm-hmm. I guess. And so what was the process and the conversations going into the way that it looks? It goes back like when we made House of the Devil, there was sort of this idea that like we would make a period movie because it also like it was an 80s movie shot in the 2000s. Um, and there was this idea that we'd make a movie that was like not just period on the inside, but like the whole movie would feel like some kind of art- artifact from that period of time, like in terms of it, its moviness, you know. Um, and so I think we kind of went back to that same sort of an idea Um with X, uh, you know, and, and there was a lot of references, a lot of talk and a lot of visual references, um, that we looked at, uh, from movies, a lot of horror movies from that, that period of time, you know, and the way they were done and what they looked like and, you know, how they were shot, how they felt, you know, um, you know, things obviously like Texas Chainsaw and, um, uh, some of the, I think the Friday the 13th movies, but also just like things like Easy Rider and and just kind of classic movies from that period of time that sort of had that same um, kind of naturalistic sort of late 70s film feel to them, you know. We were going to ask about like what your references were. And so mm-hmm. like you just named a bunch. So was it more about, were there specific things about those movies you're trying to emulate or was it just kind of, emulating the general vibe of those movies? I I would say it was more the general vibe. Um, You know, it was getting a sense really of like, well, what did the colors look like? What did the, you know, the way they were shot, you know, things like the, the super long zooms that occur a few times in the movie, you know, that was very much like, you know, a direct reference to that kind of filmmaking from that period of time. Um, And, you know, the movie, it's not shot like necessarily something that would be shot today, you know, in, in cut, like there's, it, it, there's a lot of really long takes in it. There's a lot of like real still camera work, you know, it's not like steady camming or techno craning all over the place, you know? Um, and I think that was all sort of referential to that style of filmmaking of the period when it 
you know, was taking place. Yeah, when before I'd seen it, I heard it described as like Texas Chainsaw, like you mentioned, like meets Boogie Nights. But then like Mm -hmm. also there are like several When Harry Met Sally references. And so it's just like a very interesting blend of material. Uh Yeah, you know, I mean, Ty has, well, for one thing, he's a, you know, he's a real cinephile, like most good directors, um, you know, and, and I think his taste and my taste in what we consider to be like good movies is very similar. Um, and this sense of like what cinema is more than just like what, like how to use the camera, how to like put together a scene so that like you're experiencing something that is more than just the words coming out of the actor's mouths, you know? Um, and, you know, and Ty also has the, a, a very keen sense of humor too. You know I mean? There's a lot of humor, certainly in X, um, you know, a lot of real dark humor, but, um, uh, you know, so I think it all just kind of gets blended together. And I, I was going to ask you, you mentioned the sort of long takes and mm-hmm. sort of very specific camera shots. And I was wondering, were you working with storyboards? Were, was there a shot list or was it on the day kind of figuring out what you wanted to shoot and how you wanted to shoot it? Ty always creates a shot list like the night before um, or earlier. Uh, I don't rem- I don't, we didn't have any storyboards per se. I don't think I've worked with any storyboards with Ty at all. Um, you know, there were a bunch of things in X that w- were complicated because of like the reality of Mia playing the two parts, you know, um, and having to, you know, shoot one side of a scene on one day and then come back on another day and shoot an- the other side of the scene. So be- Mia could, you know, play both parts in, you know, whenever Pearl and, and Maxine are in the same scene. Um, and likewise, the pond that she swims in, um, although it was one lake, we used one part of the lake for all the views looking out into the water and then another part of the lake for all the views looking back towards the land because there wasn't really a place on the lake that was appropriate for both things. Um, so uh, not storyboards so much, but like there were just sort of technical things like that that we has kind of had to deal with um, that had to be real specific, you know? And then um, when it wasn't like that, I mean you know, we've, I've had, we've done five movies together. So it's, um, and also an episode or two of TV, uh, it usually speaking, like what Ty wants to do. I'm like, well, yeah, that makes sense. That's what we should do. And, you know, we just kind of do it. And there's not a, a, a whole lot of like having to in the moment, figure it out. Cause he's got a very clear idea, you know, um, going into pretty much every scene, like what he wants it to be and how he wants it to work. So with uh, The Farmer's Daughter, like the movie within the movie. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I, f- I mean, and you sh- you change the aspect ratio and you obviously see what the people within the story are filming. And mm-hmm. they say, like the characters, like, oh, we're filming a good, dirty movie. And what's your approach? Because you definitely like you're you you're essentially trying to. You're, the camera work has to be like done by like a character in the movie. And so like, is your style changed by that fact at all? Yeah. I mean, the, the, all of the, that interior stuff, I think, I think all of it tied 
um, did the handheld operating because he wanted, you know, he wanted like very specific, like handheld zooms and, you know, this whole kind of like timing the way Owen would do it or whatever. So, I mean, there was a, there was a technical aspect of it of like, okay, how are we going to make this look in terms of like emulating 16, you know, we're going to add more grain. We're going to change the, the LUT a little bit, you know, for a different sort of color rendering. Um, and, you know, like I said, the aspect ratio, um, it got, uh, changed. And then we also shot all of that stuff with this, uh, old Kawa zoom from the seventies and the rest of the movie was shot, um, on, uh, mini hawk um vantage mini hawk primes um so there was kind of a few technical things that you know were done specifically to make it be what it was and then the like the way the shots are was dictated by like what that movie should be should be you know what i mean like he wanted it to look like well this is what it would look like if these people went out you know roughly went out and shot this movie with, you know, the minimal equipment they had and, and that sort of thing. And also just how they would approach it or how RJ would approach it, you know? Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, and you were talking about lenses and there's a lot of like cool wide lens shots and um, just like, yeah, there was also, um, I brought along two lenses or I, I, I brought one, this, uh, like prosumer Lawa probe lens that's like I don't know 14 inches long and like an inch in diameter um and then I turned tie on to this thing called a um an Airy Ultra Prime 8R and then it's an eight millimeter rectilinear lens that uh Airy made I didn't make that many of them I don't think but like the shot in the van where it like is looking back and you can see the entire van that's like the 8R on the um, dashboard of the van and um, when RJ is in the shower and it's looking down on him and it looks like you're a million miles away kind of that's also the 8R and so that sort of found a place here and there and, it, and the probe lens got used like um, when we did the eyeball uh, you know the point of view of the, the pitchfork tying going in through the hole into the eyeball we stuck the probe lens and, and did it in reverse um, so there was a few things like that that were kind of technical specific kind of um gags uh but yeah the rest of pretty much the whole rest of the movie was just like oh well you know and there was also the big zoom we you know we had a airy or i mean a um ingenue 25 to 250 that we just day played for a few times for when like like when the van's coming into the um farm and it's the big zoom out to reveal everything so there was a few things like that when you have lens changes like that you said that uh, Ty West does a shot list the night before, pretty much. Are mm-hmm. you is 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 are is the lens part of that shot list, or well, do you some of on those set kind of specific. like particularly the eight R stuff? It was funny because when when we got down there, I was like, Ty, you really got to check out this lens, this eight R. It's really kind of weird. Like it has this perspective that is you can't really understand what it's doing because it's like a it should be all fish-eyed but it's not you know um and he was like i don't know i don't think it'll be i don't know i don't know i don't know and then like we got it and we went out and did shot a little test and then it just sort of moved towards like oh this could be useful here or there or whatever and sometimes it was like a question you know like uh i think when we were doing like 
Howard and Pearl are having sex on the bed and, and you're looking from the ceiling down. I, I think there was, it wasn't like, ah, oh, should this be the ADR? Is that too far away or too goofy or whatever? So there's, you know, Tile, you know, there'll be a, sh there'll be within the coverage, the idea that like, oh, we're going to have a shot that is, um, you know, this overhead looking down onto the bed or this overhead looking down into the, into the tub. And it might not be as specific, especially with things like that, that are kind of, newly introduced into like the his filmmaking grammar that it might not be immediately like oh we'll use the 8R for this it might be like hey let's look at the 8R and see if this is going to work for this you know um but the idea would be oh we're going to have a shot that's the overhead shot and it's like oh well should we put the 12 millimeter on or should we put the 8R and see what that looks like you know so with um I was just watching the movie before and it got to about the, uh, got to about the midway point, and there's a good amount of like animal creatures in this movie. There's chickens, there's cows, there's alligators. Um, uh -huh. What's the blend of real to CG that you're using? All of the animals, like the farm animal things, I'm also getting a little bit confused with Pearl in my head too, because there's way more animals in Pearl than there are in X. But they were all real, and the except of course the alligator was a prop but the alligator was almost entirely a physical prop i think they did a little bit of cg cleanup and stuff with it but um it it was like that was another thing that ty was pretty insistent on it was doing as much of this practically as we possibly could because again that's kind of in line with like you know a movie from that era really we had a top half of an alligator that could be towed through the water for like the overhead shot, looking down at it. Um, and some of the stuff looking back where it's, it's swimming towards Mia, she's swimming towards the dock and stuff. Um, and we had, well, and then there was a, a head of the alligator that sort of had a, a little rubber back on it that they could be, the stunt people could be underwater with it and operate the jaws for the like biting stuff. And it seems like we had one other. The the dead cows seem pretty elaborate in the street with like the guts. Oh yeah yeah yeah. That was practical though. That was like built. It was this place. What is the name of it? It was associated with uh, Weta Studios, but it's other people down in in Wellington that built that stuff. Um, and they built a cow, and there was some real cow guts that like they went to a slaughterhouse and got like a bucket of cow guts and stuff, and then that was augmented with like fake blood and stuff like that and like the alligator like when you see it first in the pond and then its eye blinks like just the eye and the blink are cg but it's otherwise it's a practical um puppet and i was gonna ask about your lighting setups um mm -hmm. just like I, I think i read in an interview that you'd said that you wanted to light this how they would in 1979 yeah. and um what what that's like and how that limits you or you know, doesn't limit you. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that like when we went to do Pearl, I was like, I'm not going to do that with this movie. <laughs> it was like, you know, I, I mean, although we did use some modern, like a few led fixtures here and there, not, not very many, but it was the movie was predominantly lit with like, um, HMI Fresnel's, uh, you know, there were like 
dusted off from the oldest shelves ever at the rental house down there and like all kinds of problems and wouldn't spot and wouldn't flood and like crazy colors and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was again, and, and that was sort of also what we did or I did on house of the devil was, you know, to attempt to, for the most part, use the fixtures that were available at that time when the movie was, because it, it, it makes a big difference. I mean, if you look at the way things are lit these days, you know, it just looks different, you know? I mean, all these, the world has kind of gone for all these like big soft sources that are easy to do with like large led fixtures and stuff like that. And, you know, back in whatever, in 1979 or whenever the tendency was much more towards harder light, you know? And so that's just kind of the route we went. So the central property, like the main two houses where the whole movie takes place, uh, were those mm-hmm. existing in any capacity or were they built from the ground up? The farmhouse was an existing farmhouse. Um, and then uh, Ty and the production designer, Tom Han- Tom Hammock, um, super great guy. Uh, he's <laughs> He had just finished doing um, Kong versus Godzilla and now he's back on... He's on the sequel to that, but in the in the in the meantime, he did uh, these two movies down in New Zealand. But um, so Ty and Tom got down there. I think it was around Halloween of twenty nineteen, um, and they started looking around. They found the farm that had the farmhouse, and it had a place for to put the bunkhouse building, and it had a place to put the barn. But both of those things, Tom designed and built. Um, and then the pond, uh, was another location entirely. It was, uh, like half hour, 45 minutes away. Kind of backtracking just a little bit. Um, I, I wanted to ask about the aspect ratio just cause it's 1.9 and, um, not that that that's crazy or anything, but what was the decision-making process of like, this is how this is going to look. Yeah. That got into a lot of strange back and forth with like post and deliverables and blah, blah, blah. And I can't tell you exactly how it ended up being exactly what it ended up being. Um, We knew we wanted it to be widescreen and, but I think we both, well, we also knew we wanted to use these mini mini Hawks, which are spherical lenses. So it wasn't going to be anamorphic and, you know, I don't think Ty wanted it to like to be like traditional, like two, three, five or something like that was just too much. And so I, yeah, I think the actual specific of it landing on like 1.9 to one or whatever it is in the end had something to do with like post requirements and, and that sort of thing, as opposed to it being like two to one or, or something like that. I, I honestly, it got very convoluted and strange and i just was like well it's going to be this widescreen whether it's two to one or 1.9 or whatever's easier for you guys i don't care you know it's not like it's going to make or break anything so how does it work uh, what are the mechanics of mia goth playing two people at the same time like when those characters are interacting with one another in a you know in like the austin powers dr evil sort of way yeah um well so what happened like the makeup reality of turning Mia into Pearl was like a six hour adventure for her every time. Um, and we had a body double, this woman named Alice, um, who we would use 
who would go through part of the makeup when Pearl, when Mia was playing um, Maxine, Alice would be in, in the Pearl costume in some makeup. So we could do like an over the shoulder, or, you know, some things like that with her and then vice versa. And so what ended up happening, like it just had to get scheduled such that like, you know, we would do um, one, one side of one scene and whatever the next day or whatever, it would get turned around and we would do the, the other thing. So it got complicated. Like when um, Pearl is getting in bed with Maxine um, that ended up being these comps that were like three layers done over like two or three different nights, you know, and we had um, this thing called a Q take um, station in a, in this guy, Brendan, who is our operator of the Q take used to um, do compositing work for Weta. And so that was super helpful. Like he could do temp composites while we were working on those things to make sure that like things were lining up and things were going to be able to be, you know, dealt with. Um, and like the, at the end when uh, the shotgun goes off and she flies through the door, I mean, that's like, that's both Mia and Pearl and over two different nights and a stunt woman getting yanked through the door and all of this, you know, sort of stuff. It's just a real, like, more than anything, it was just like a, um, a planning reality, you know, knowing like these are going to be the shots. This is how the scene's going to get staged. This is how it's going to go. Okay. Let's break it down into, you know, what do we do in this direction? What do we do with Mia as Maxine? What do we do with her as Pearl? And, you know, and you just sort of break it down and go shot by shot. And, and some of those things like, you know, at the end when, when the shooting happens and, the stuff in the bed, it, it, it gets pretty controlled. You know what I mean? It, it becomes like, this is the way we have to do this. So, you know, the actors kind of have to cooperate. It's like, this is, you got to move to here and you got to be in this, this space. Cause whatever, when the stunt woman gets yanked through the door, it has to start from here. You know, these kind of things, uh, just get, need to get nailed down. Um, and then, you know, you just sort of bang your way through it. Uh, so, but again, you know, that's, it's also a testament to like Ty is super well organized and he has a very clear idea about what he wants. And, you know, for, a, you know, for a director to be concise and, and clear about how it is they want to put together the scene, it makes it possible to do things like that, you know, and you don't end up just sort of like, flailing on the night and then having you know mountains and mountains of cg work to do to to fix it or whatever you know um so so another sequence that i wanted to talk about was when uh the blood is going over the headlights and pearl is doing like her little (laughs) joker joker dance Uh uh um what was that like to shoot well that was like you know what we did was um you know, it's the whole stabbing RJ and all that business and the mountains of blood. And there was like, um, you know, it was all this prosthetics and like, you know, fake blood getting spruit. And it was like this whole progression of like, because when you do something like that, it's always like, okay, 
we'll take it to here and we got to stop because we can't clean it up. So we got to like, you know, you got to kind of progress in order so that like you don't end up with like needing a shot with somebody clean when you've just made this enormous mess, you know? Um, And so there was a, a lot of that. And then there was, you know, the transition into like, okay, the blood's hitting the headlights and then the light's going to be all red and all of this sort of um, conceit. And um, that was just sort of figured out, like, at what point does it become red, basically? You know, like, at what point in the sequence will we go full on gelled red light for it all? And, you know, that, that's also just a matter of kind of figuring out, like you would have to figure out like, Oh, we can't like have her get super bloody in this shot because we, we aren't to that point yet. And then you just figure out, okay, we're here at this point, it's going to be all red and we go from there, you know? And that was just, you know, red lights or I mean, red gels on tungsten lights. It wasn't, you know, anything else. So another sequence I'm curious about, uh, like you use a lot of like wipes, like for transitions, which are really fun. And then you do like the split screen with like the landslide sequence. And Mm -hmm. did you like, did, did that, did knowing or thinking roughly that you were going to edit it that way, does that radically change how you shoot it? The, you know, some of that stuff was pre-planned, but not all of it. And some of it was, um, I think also, uh, kind of discovered, um, later on in post the landslide stuff was always meant, if I remember correctly, it was always meant to have the, the wipes and the two screen things going on. So that was kind of, and there were actually some shots that didn't get used in that sequence stuff of, going up the stairs and stuff like that that I don't think ended up in the sequence but there was a pretty a pretty clear plan of like what was needed to do that sort of sequence with the with the with the music and I guess the last sort of specific sequence or thing I want to talk about with X was there's a few times where you're outside and uh, they're kind of lit by moonlight and it it's yeah. kind of natural looking light and i wanted to know like how difficult is that because i've seen bad moon lighting and this wasn't that well thanks i'm glad um you know for the most part in x all the night exteriors were you know especially like in between like when they're walking between the barn and the house or the house and the and the bunkhouse and stuff like that um, you know, it was just like 4K HMI um, Fresnels, and they might have had half straw on them. And then sometimes, uh, like we got into a little bit of using the old Kukuloris. Like a, there's these things. I don't know why nobody uses them anymore, but they're called cello kooks, and they're like a instead of like you, you used to get it used to be super standard to have like hard kooks, which were like a four by four of like a thin plywood that had like squiggles cut out of it. Right. That you could put in front of a light to create like a random sort of like pattern out in the world. And then there were ones that were called cello and they were like a, a a wire mesh that had like darker kind of squiggle spots in it. Right. So it would make lighter and darker kind of vibes out in the thing, but it wouldn't cast hard shadows. Um, 
We use a little bit of that, but you know, I think mostly um, the it it's just sort of maybe a sense of like how bright to make it, what kind of color to make it, what you know. I mean, because it it is a it's a conceit always. I mean, you walk out even on a, a full moon in the desert, like it doesn't really look like that, you know. But I, I guess it's just sort of a matter of like putting it together and looking at it and going this is convincing, you know, this is like, this isn't distracting. This isn't, this is going to feel within the world that we've created. This is going to feel right. Like it's nighttime out here, you know, but you know, it was pretty much always just, um, H H my Fresnels on, uh, lifts, you know, and we were shooting with the Venice and we're shooting it like all that stuff at 2,500. So you don't really need very much light at that point. You know, you can do it with like a 4k and, cover like an enormous area um at that kind of asa this is a non sequitur but like kid cuddy's like silhouetted penis was that a um like was was that a practical thing or is that an after effect? yes it was that was that was um they went out somebody went out and bought an enormous dildo and they um i didn't really see how it was attached to him but it was in some and i mean the whole sense was like it's got to be super silhouetted and it's got to be really subtle or whatever but that's it was a very much a practical thing i was gonna ask is there a sequence that you're that that you found particularly challenging or one that you are um sort of most proud of how it ended up turning out i mean i guess they could turn they could be the same sequence but hmm you know i i I'm really happy with the way the whole movie turned out, you know, um, in terms of like particular sequences, um, you know, the one that always comes to my mind and it's only because it's like, so like, um, it's kind of the way Ty thinks about things and I do too. And it's just like super amusing to me. And it's when, um, uh, uh, what's his face? Um, the character uh, who who's the owner of the strip club, and you know, he's doing the why can't I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden? But anyway, when he's walking in to try to find Owen in the barn, and he's walking and he's t- talking about like you know, giving advice about women and stuff like this, and then you just see the camera just you know just drops down and you see the big nail coming up in the foreground and through the piece of wood you know and then it just sits on that until it gets until he just walks up and steps on it you know and there's no it's like this long thing and it's from way back when ty and i first did um the cabin fever 2 the sequel there was this point in the very beginning of that movie where a guy with the disease is stumbling out of the woods onto this road and there's this school bus coming down the road and ty was very insistent he's like well, we should see the school bus. We should see this guy. We should just watch the whole thing and watch it until it, it hits. And it shouldn't be like a surprise or so. And I was like, well, yeah, that's, that's great. Like, of course, like you're just going to sit there when you watch that and go like, whoa, 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 whoa. And this is exactly the same thing with the nail in the foot, you know? Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that qualifies as like, you know, my favorite sequence in the movie, but I, it always comes to mind as like, it's so specific to the kind, the what, the approach, the filmmaking approach that I think we have together. You know. So, um, 
sort of beginning to close. But how long mm-hmm. was the X shoot and how long was the Pearl shoot in comparison? And what do you know about like the eventual release of Pearl? Okay, so I got to remember exactly. I, X was, I want to say X was six five day weeks, of which like the last uh, three and a half or something were full nights. Like we got out to the farm at night and worked until the sun came up. Um, and then Pearl was shorter. Pearl was, I want to say four, six day weeks. I think it was a 24 day shoot and X was 30 or 35. I, it was either 30 or 35 days. I can't remember in terms of, and actually in X was shot almost entirely on location at that farm or the pond, but the, basement was on a stage like it was a set built on a stage because the farmhouse had no basement um and the strip club interior at the beginning was also on that on the stage uh and then pearl we did a lot more um we recreated some more of the of the um farmhouse interior on stage so we could do some things that happened there that were not feasible to do on location really but yeah, what was the other part of the question? How many days? And... If you know when and how Pearl will oh. be released. Yeah. No, like I said earlier, I um, when we were talking before, I don't know exactly what the plan with that is. I should probably get a hold of Ty and actually ask him because it's been about a month and I haven't, I, I don't know at this point. Something, I mean, A24 is going to put it out or whatever. And like I said earlier, um, we have the green light from A24 to go uh, make... Maxine, which will be the third, uh, the third movie. I think we're supposed to shoot early next year. So those were two X-related movies, but I was wondering, what are you working on now, if anything, in particular that you can talk I about? Just got. Home. I've been doing a lot of TV um, in the last uh, number of years. Um, I just got back home to Portland from being down in Los Angeles. Uh, shooting HBO's Perry Mason um, for the last like six or seven months or something like that. Uh, and then I was, I was working on um, the FX show Snowfall before that. I did season three and season four and then the beginning of season five on Snowfall. Um, and that was sort of, a re- that all happened kind of around uh, New Zealand and X. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, I'm, presumably I'm going to go with Ty and do the the third movie um, in the beginning of next year. But I'm kind of trying to take a little bit of time off because I've been like away working like so much. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what's going on. Parth, would you say it's time for the Big Kahuna final question? I think it's time we unleash it. So the, okay. so the Big Kahuna final question is uh, what is the last great movie that you watched that you had nothing to do with creatively? Oh, boy. Um, can this be an old movie that I just happened to yeah, have watched? Yeah, it could be new or a rewatch. You know, um, I watched Chinatown uh, recently. That That's the first thing that's popping into my mind. Um, and I was kind of blown away. Like, I'd seen it years ago. Um, and there's, like, problematic sort of, like... Uh, um, the plants like, give it all. Well, yeah, but uh, the plants give it all, and also, but there's like this, like 
kind of racisty Chinese stuff in it too, that you're like, wait a minute. And, but like the movie as cinema is like, it's remarkable. Like it's so good. Um, they say it's one of like the perfect screenplays or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's just, I, I was just like, wow, this is crazy. Great. Like, um, just the, yeah, the filmmaking is just like remarkable. Uh, yeah. Does that count? Yeah, no. Chinatown's a, a a reasonable answer. I think AFI considers it one of like the best top, like probably the in the best uh, top ten movies of all time. So it qualifies. Well, then I'm in good company, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if I've seen anything that's recent that I thought was really good. I've seen a bunch of movies that I was not particularly fond of recently, but we don't need to get into that. <laughs> Fair enough. Parth, you want to bring us uh, out? Trent. Oh, oh no. yeah. I was, oh, who's? I was, was going to do that. Uh, well, uh, uh, thank you so much to Elliot Rocket. He is the um, cinematographer that's worked on such films as The Specials, The House of the Devil, Cabin Fever 2, and our film for today, Ty West's X. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thanks for having me. That was really fun. Thank you very much. Good luck with your filmmaking endeavors down the road. Wow, what a great interview. Whoa. What a great what a great interview. What a in what a what a interview. The joke here is that right after saying cue the interview, I just said, "What a great interview." Um and gave Trent no time to do our usual chit-chat in between segments. Yeah, no. I mean, we could do chit-chat here. It's after the interview. It doesn't matter now. No, now that you've drawn so much attention to it, I say let's keep the chit-chat to a minimum. Is this a, is this a two part interview or a one parter? This is a one part. All the Halloween ones are one parters. That's you're thinking and the then, cruise of Palooza. Wait, Trent. Sorry, I, I I got confused. You just meant you mentioned that you loved something, and I think I think I might have to do it because we're entering what what you were alluding to the two part interviews. That's happening mm-hmm. for a later uh, mini series that we're doing. And that would be us entering. Parth, do you think you can give me directions? I'm Where? I'm a little I'm a little turned around. I'm just um, I'm looking to get to the danger zone. What roadway would you suggest I take? Well, I, Trent, I I think you should take the highway to the danger zone. And if you can hear the my housemates, and if you can hear my housemates' television happening in the background. It means that they stopped caring about the fact that we're recording, but luckily we're at the end of the episode. Sure. So I, I say we, we drown them out with Danger Zone, okay. and we go out like men. And I'll see you next week, and we'll discuss the movie One, like two, men. three. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, wait, no, but we have to say uh, thank you so much to Elliot Rocket. Um, thank you so much, Elliot Rocket. If you're listening to this, uh, we appreciate your patience. You, you're very nice. and Very, uh, very nice. Go- check out our episodes on all major podcasting platforms and give us a good rating and review on any yeah, podcasting uh, platform. Sorry, I forgot about all of the, the formal podcast element, the things we have to do. Uh, give us a good review, suggest us to a friend, be generally a good person when given the opportunity, and uh, 
Trent, you're inspiring. Has anyone ever told you that? Um, it makes me want to fly a plane, like an F-18. Okay. Like, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so give us a good review and come next dun, week dun, for dun, our dun, dun, uh, discussion of X. Highway to the danger zone. Gonna talk about Tom Cruise in interesting roles. Cruise is a. Uh...